You know, I had this full message that I was going to preach to you and uh, literally had, had all these things that were stirring in my heart. And last night, I got a text message from uh, one of our good friends and members of the church and works on staff here, Matt. And uh, he works with our, our audio visual team that are behind the scenes. They've been the ones really doing all of this and this and all the, I mean, those guys don't get a lot of thanks, but can we give some thanks to the sound, the lighting, all the tech crew that serves. It takes a lot of people to make this happen. And so he texted me and he said, Paul, you need to uh, pray. This is at 11.30 p.m. I said, yeah, yeah, what? What are we praying for? He said, pray for Darren Benjamin. And Darren has been a member of Victory for a long time, 25 years old. Darren played drums for uh, Victory for a long time, played drums in my band for a long time. And uh, he said, he's, things aren't good, let's, let's pray. So Ashton and I hopped in the car. We went there last night to the hospital. At about midnight, and we were there till probably 2.30 a.m. just praying with the family. And Darren graduated to heaven. And... Um, He's in a better place, my friends. No sickness, no pain, no hurt, no fear. And uh, we do not lose when we die. We gain a victory even. Death is not victorious. And, and the whole family, we just stood. And, and, and of course, there's tears. Of course, we were believing for something different. But we also know that Darren is with Jesus. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we just stood there and we worshiped and we sang and we prayed. And um, just a powerful moment as a church family, those that were there joined together. And so when, when I got, I spent the night in the church last night. <laughs> when we got back, um, it was around 2.30 or 3 a.m. I said, Ashley, just drop me off at the church. I'm gonna be up in a few hours anyways to preach. So the word that God started stirring in my heart started shifting in the last uh, few hours. And I feel like I've got a message that's for all of us today if you're willing to listen and lean in. But I, I believe that God wants to do something in this, this specific service, those that are watching online, this specific word. And so if you have a Bible, go to Matthew 17. Yeah, you can make some noise, Matthew 17. And Jesus was with a few of his disciples and they didn't realize they were about to experience an incredible encounter with God. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. Jesus was wanting to create a moment with these guys and after six days, of being together with a large group of people, Jesus wanted to pull away just a small group for something very important. You know, I think about how this conference, we've been going for six days. All the speakers have been saying, this is the longest conference I've been to. I said, it used to be 10 days. And they said, yeah, this, this is amazing. I said, yeah, our, we're, we are troopers at Victory. And, uh, and so, Jesus, after six days, he brings them up this mountain. And in verse two, it says he was transfigured before them. So something changed about Jesus in front of their eyes. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. Let me say this. When you draw close to God, you experience 
a, a, a different side of Christianity that cannot be experienced on a surface level. When you go deeper with God, when you say, Lord, I wanna go, I wanna draw closer to you, there's a part of intimacy that just can't be felt on a surface level Christianity. Um, we were never meant to just attend church and experience God only on Sundays. We were meant to go deeper into an intimate relationship with Jesus. And so I think part of this message is an invitation to intimacy, an invitation to intimacy, an invitation to leave surface Christianity, surface level um, theology, surface level moments with God, and to go deeper, an invitation to know God for yourself. And so there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, Peter always has something to say. <laughs> I can relate to Peter because there's moments where I get excited and I'm like, I got something to say. And God's like, stop, stop talking. Just stop, stop talking. Lord, it's good for us to be here. So Peter's, you know, having this moment. And, and let me say this. When we're having moments at an altar call and, and God's doing something, don't be itching to shout unless it's truly something from the Holy Spirit. Because there, there's something about just being quiet and letting God do the talking instead of you trying to shout above the silence. Some of us are uncomfortable with silence. We don't know how to handle silence. We don't know how to handle the quietness. But it's in the quietness, if we will just shut our mouths, that God wants to speak something straight to your situation. And so Peter starts talking, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So another part of this is that Peter wanted to build a monument out of a moment. He wanted to live in a moment that Jesus had no intention of them living in. Because he's not just the God of the mountains, he's the God of the valleys. They weren't going to be up there very long. Peter wanted to live in the conference. He wanted to live in the moment. Can we just stay in church? You know, this is why the night that, that um, Todd White spoke and we were just lingering and we were worshiping, there was a moment where I felt God say, it's time to dismiss. And I'm like, oh, but that feels so unspiritual. And God's going, no, 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 we can't live in this building. They've got to take this out with them to their homes. So many people think that the church building is the only place to encounter the presence of God. Lord, it's good to be here. We should live here. I'll build a shelter for me, for you, for all the people. And God said, no, 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 you got you to stop talking for a second. And you got to know that this is not supposed to be your final place. You got to take this home with you. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, God always was affirming Jesus. God was affirming Jesus before he did miracles. God was affirming Jesus in the middle of his ministry and miracles. We serve a God who affirms you and I as children of God. When we give our hearts to Jesus, he washes us, he washes our sins away. And he says, we can, we can know that the words God spoke over Jesus, he's speaking over us. This is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. When you have the Father's affirmation, you don't need everyone else's affirmation. 
I remember when my sermons were first put on YouTube and people started watching them and, uh, and that was cool. And then, and, and people even gave some thumbs up on the messages. Um, but then I started seeing some thumbs down and this really bothered me. I think we have a picture. Um, cause yeah, like, like zoom in on the, 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 the thumb down part right over there. I don't know if you can see that, but there's two thumbs down. <laughs> and I remember just feeling so hurt. I was like, who gave me those thumbs down? Which one of our church members is secretly hating me? And I was like, started going on Google, trying to figure out who are the thumbs down people. And you can't figure out, they won't tell you it's a secret. Now I'm telling you guys what, yeah. So it's a secret. So I'm like, I gotta find, I, I'm going to find these people out. I'm gonna go to their house. I'm gonna try to convince them to like me. Was it something I said? Was it something I wore? And I needed their affirmation until God said, you don't need it. You don't need their affirmation, Paul. You have your father in heaven approving who you are, what you're called to do. Stop itching and waiting to get the affirmation of man when you already have the affirmation of God. Jesus didn't need the applause of the Pharisees or even the applause of his disciples when he had the affirmation of his father in heaven. What's driving you? What's causing you to not be able to feel loved and valued and accepted? So when the disciples heard God say, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased, they fell face down to the ground and they were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them and he said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And I wanna just pause for a moment. Band, if you would just softly play. Because there's this song that came out this year that just started really stirring in my heart. And I was singing it last night with Darren. I was singing it when I was here at the church last night. And I was thinking about how so often we get distracted by all these things or we get enamored by all the voices and exciting services and it's incredible. But at the end of the conference, I hope, I hope that you would feel a touch on your shoulder and turn around and all it is is just Jesus. You don't have Robert Madu. You don't have Todd White. You don't have Sammy Rodriguez. You don't have Paul. It's just Jesus and just Jesus is enough. Just Jesus, like I'm all good with just Jesus. I'm all good with just Jesus. And I was praying that over just the family last night. I was praying that over my heart, my mind, our church, that we would care more about being with just Jesus than we would hearing a great speaker. Because great speakers are, are great, but man, there's nothing greater than Jesus. There's nothing greater than the presence of God. And so I just wanna sing this song and, and, and then we're gonna, I'll finish out the message, but I wanna invite you to just take a moment to take a deep breath and go, okay, conference is coming to an end and it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus right here. Caught up in your presence 
David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Moses said, I will not go unless you go with me. Moses cried out, Lord, I want to see your face. He wanted to know God. He didn't want to just get the commandments, get the instructions, get the blessing. He said, Lord, I want to know you. I want to see your face. Joshua would dwell in the tent of meeting. When Moses would leave, he would just linger in God's presence. He would just want more of God. The thing about this is right out of Matthew 17, verse 8, after it's just Jesus, it says they came down from the mountain and they had work to do. They had things to do. They had more ministry to do. Jesus would eventually go to the cross. These disciples would go through all kinds of things. And Jesus would tell them, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You know, the thing that I love is that God is with us in church, he's with us out of church, he's with us on the mountain, he's with us in the valley. A good friend of mine, Torn Wells, wrote this song, Hills and Valleys. He's God of the hills and the valleys. He's with you no matter what's going on in your life. So this is good, if you're succeeding, praise God, give the glory to God. If you're walking through something that's tough, a trial, and sometimes you could be going through both, where you're experiencing blessing in one area of your life, but you're, you're walking through a battle in another area of your life. And God is God of the blessing and the battle. He's with you on the mountain and in the valley. He's with you in church and on Monday at work. It's just Jesus. That's all you need. Come on. Thank you so much, man. I'll call you back up in just a moment. You know, part of this message was stirring in me when I was... Um, hiking this summer and I was hiking down into the canyon and I didn't have all the the people that were hiking with me last time it was just me and God going through that area and I was getting blisters and I was feeling the pain and I didn't have the friends that you know I had a buddy that that had to leave early and so it was just me going down there and I heard God say I'm teaching you to not lean on all the crutches I'm teaching you to just lean on me. And um, the next day I was hiking back out and God was saying, Paul, sometimes you, you feel like you have to have so many things to make it through something and I'm teaching you to just lean on me. And you know, that's the beautiful thing is that when God invites us to a life of intimacy with him, he takes care of our needs. He takes care of the things that we're concerned about. And he'll send people in your life at the right time, but they won't be a crutch to you. Instead, you'll be able to help them and they'll be a blessing to you. Instead of seeing them as your source of affirmation or their, your source of being able to get through a battle, you'll, you, they'll, they'll be more like iron sharpening iron. So let me go to this other passage that I want to really stir in your hearts before we finish today. And that's 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17. Yeah, y'all are like, oh, another sermon. Here we go. It's part of the same sermon. There's a flow with it. Come on. First Kings 17. And it continues, really, the life of intimacy with Jesus is a life of faith. It's an invitation to trust God instead of putting your trust in man or in your resources 
or in your ability, your charisma, what you have. It's, it's learning to, to really lean on just Jesus. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah just stepped on the scene. By the way, there is no verse before this introducing Elijah. This is the verse that introduces Elijah. And the verse that introduces Elijah doesn't say he's a prophet yet. It just says Elijah the Tishbite. You don't have to be a big name or carry a position in ministry to be someone that is used by God. God's not looking for superhumans. He's looking for ordinary people that say, I want to be used by God. So Elijah was just a guy who felt like God spoke to him and he had the courage to speak to the king of Israel who was wicked in that time. Ahab was married to Jezebel, and together they were wreaking havoc on the nation of Israel. They were bringing in uh, idols and sexual immorality, and there was violence, there was chaos, there was division, there was so much darkness. And Elijah, this ordinary guy, just walks up and prophesies, and he says, at my word, the rain is going to stop, and it will not start again until I say on behalf of God, when it's going to happen. So here he is, he's speaking with this boldness. He's speaking with this courage. He's speaking with this um, uh, belief that the word of God is true in his life. And so watch this in verse two, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, keep going. Leave here, turn eastward and hide. Everybody say hide. Why would God say hide? Here, Elijah was operating in courage and boldness, and now God says, you better go hide. <laughs> and you know what's interesting is he's hidden for three and a half years. He doesn't have any big ministry meetings. For three and a half years, Elijah is hidden, and his only ministry is with a widow. And it's not until at the end of this chapter that he's called a prophet. He goes from being Elijah the Tishbite to being Elijah the prophet by the end of the chapter. Three and a half years of hidden training. Three and a half years of invisible ministry. Three and a half years of total intimacy. Just you and God. Just learning to trust in God. Learning to follow God's instructions. So God's speaking to Elijah. Some of you are in a hidden season right now. You think it's a curse. It's preparation for the ministry and the gifts that God wants to bring through your life. Just because you haven't been seen yet doesn't mean that God doesn't see you and that God doesn't have a plan to use you on a greater level. Elijah was going to go on to become a national revivalist. But for one chapter in the Bible, for three and a half years in his life, all he is is an invisible minister. He's someone who is listening to God speak. Some of us are waiting on a church to recognize us in a position. We're waiting on someone to affirm that we have this gift and put us on stage. And yet here Elijah is, there's no stage, there's no temple. It's just following God's voice and wisdom. And if you'll follow that, God will take care of your needs. Somebody say, God is my source. God is my source. So then God directs him. He says, you will drink from the brook that I have directed and the ravens will supply you with food there. Ravens are going to feed you and the brook is going to give you water. It's interesting that God would use ravens and a brook to take care of Elijah 
for this season in his life. I remember when I first stepped in as pastor, this person came and, and told me that um, if I didn't do these, 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 these things that they listed, they were gonna leave the church and they were, they were very wealthy and um, they said, if you do these things, we'll cover the vision, we'll cover this, we'll cover that, we'll pay for this, pay for that. And I, I felt like God said, no, no, you need to look back and say, I can only do what God tells me to do. This ministry's not for sale. This pulpit, I'm not gonna prostitute the pulpit so that someone can buy all the decisions in the house and what I preach and what I don't preach and who we hire and who we don't. And like, victory's not, God is the head of the church. Nobody, I'm not even, God's the head of the church. I can only do what he tells me. That's why I had to change the message today because I'm not the head of the church. I felt like God was saying, you need to shift this. You're still gonna speak on this, but you need to speak on this. I have to answer to God. And so I was concerned because, you know, they did, they left. And I was like, Lord, those were my ravens. <laughs> I thought they were. That was my brook. And God says, hold up, who's your source? Are you trusting man or are you trusting me? Are you trusting in this thing that I used in one season? Because just because I used this one thing in one season to take care of your father and take care, don't get hooked on one thing as your, God is your source. Your job is not your source. Your employer is not your source. The invention you had in one season is not your source. It might have served you in one season, but God has more inventions for another season. One idea worked for 10 years, but God's got new ideas for the next 10 years. Don't get stuck on stale bread. Don't get stuck on an old word from God as if that's the only thing he could speak to you. God's got fresh manna. He's got fresh ravens. He's got fresh brooks. And even when there's a famine, God knows how to take care of his kids. Even if your company's laying people off, God knows how to take care of his kids. Don't you worry, don't you worry. I've lined up ravens for you. And I've lined up a brook for you. And so Elijah, if you will trust in me, intimacy is about trust. You know what I'm talking about? Invitation to intimacy is saying, Lord, I trust in you more than I trust in me, more than I trust in my job, more than I put my trust in our government, more than I put my trust in what people would say about me or what they don't say. Lord, I want to be so close to you. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to the Lord. He will draw near to you. Humble yourself and he will exalt you. So when you come under that place of submission, you're saying, Lord, I'm trusting in your provision more than I'm trusting in what I can do or what people can do. So, so God tells Elijah to, to, to eat there and to stay there and to drink there. And he did what the Lord told him to do. Verse five, he obeyed God. Everybody say, obey God. <laughs> and he went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and he stayed there. Now watch what happens next. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. Come on, that's like, that's, that's amazing right there. Uber eats. He just gets, he gets food delivered to him. He doesn't even have to go out. He doesn't have to go find it. They just bring it to him. And, uh, and, then, and then he drinks from the brook. So he's got everything he needs. It's all supplied. But watch what happens. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So let me stop right there. Whenever I went through that thing that happened that I just shared with you, I was praying. I said, Lord, we need some help in the church. And I was praying that God would bring in people that would just help 
provide. God wants to work with businessmen and businesswomen and pastors to continue the work of God. There's a connection together, kings and priests. And so I was saying, Lord, we need some people that are going to be a part of this because you've put vision in my heart. I don't want to shut down the Bible college. I don't want to shut down the school. I don't want to stop doing what we're doing at the Dream Center. Lord, we need help. And God said, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I said, Lord, I trust you, but help me in my unbelief. I'm so glad God doesn't rebuke you when you doubt. He says, okay, draw close. I got you. So I'm sitting in a, I'm teaching in a Bible college class at Victory College on faith during this time in 2016. And it had been a year and a half since that, that moment. And I, I still hadn't seen the answer to the prayers. And at the same time, you're waiting on something big to happen. At the same time, God was faithful. Every week we had what we needed as a church. Every, how could I be upset? How could I complain when every week God was providing what we needed? And yet I was nervous because it was like barely provision. We had barely enough to keep everything intact. And the team said, if things don't change, we, we are at the barely moment, Paul. But come on, I'd rather be on the barely moment trusting God than be in the, the place of having more than enough but being under the submission to man. I'd rather be under God having just what I need. He supplies just what I need. Give us this day our daily bread. So God was giving us just what we needed. But I'm speaking in this class on faith. This guy comes up to me afterwards and he's in jeans and flip-flops and a t-shirt. He says, hey, I wasn't here when your dad was pastor. Just started coming. Uh, took time off from work to be at Bible college here. And he said, and I feel like I'm supposed to sow a seed in the church. I said, well, praise God. You know, and in my mind, I'm like, he's gonna sow $10 into the church. And I said, but praise God, $10, God knows how to multiply the loaves and the fishes. I said, $10 is good, God, we need $10. And um, that next few months, that man gave the largest one-time check in the history of our church up until that moment, over a million dollars. And it was all that we needed for the vision that God had birthed in my heart during that time for what we were doing as a church. And then he sowed another 300,000 into the Dream Center. And I heard God say, don't get hooked on him. I used what he was going to do for that moment, but don't you put your trust in him. And sure enough, God said, he's not, he's not with you forever. And sure enough, God called them to move to another state and to be a part of another ministry in another state. And it was like God had already prepared me. God was teaching Elijah, don't put your trust in the ravens. Don't put your trust in this brook. Put your trust in the Lord because I'll provide for you. Even if I have to do it through a poor widow, I'm going to take care of your needs. Some of us get hooked on a season or a moment or a source as if that's the only thing that can supply what we lack. But God knows how to meet your needs wherever you're at through whatever source he's going to do it. He's going to do it and it's going to be for his glory. And the greater your need, the greater greater the glory that God gets on your behalf. Come on, the greater Elijah's need, the greater God's glory in the provision in your life. The greater the need, everybody say the greater the need, the more glory God gets. How many have some needs in your life right now? Anybody have some needs? I feel like God's speaking today that God is about to meet your needs in a supernatural way. You know, every miracle God did for Elijah was fixing a problem that he had. It was fixing a problem. If you think about it, there was a problem in Israel. God did a miracle. There was a problem in Elijah's 
food source and water source and ability to live, and God fixed the problem. If you have a problem, you're a candidate for a miracle. If you have a problem right now in your marriage, in your family, in your body, in your finances, you're a candidate for God to do a miracle. God loves problems because he gets the glory when he brings the answer. But if you're sitting here going, I got no problems. The other people got problems. See, it's our weakness that attracts God's power. It's not our strength that attracts God's power. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, I will boast in my weakness, for in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. His grace is sufficient for me. The more Elijah needed, the more God supplied. And the more Elijah trusted in the middle of his problem. Does anybody have any problems going on in your life right now? Am I looking at anybody This, this <laughs> 10 people raised? your hands <laughs> I know you got problems <laughs> I'm not talking about some of you are like oh, I just don't want to admit it I don't want anyone to know the problems going on in my life in my house and my family I'm not just talking about financial problems who in this room could use some help from God on a situation maybe that's a better faith way to say it there we go we just got hundred percent in the room <laughs> Now I know how to phrase the question. This is a faith-filled church. Did you know faith-filled people can still face the facts? And say, the fact is, Paul, there's a problem I can't fix. It's beyond my control. I can fix a money thing, but I can't fix this thing. I can fix this, but I can't fix the money thing. And this is great, because if you have a problem, you're a candidate for a miracle. And so here Elijah is, he's in need of a miracle. He's in need of a miracle. And watch what happens. Verse eight, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, listen, the brook dried up, the ravens aren't bringing food anymore. Go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Everybody say Sidon. You know who lives in Sidon? Ahab and Jezebel. <laughs> God is preparing Elijah during his invisible season for what he's about to do three years later from this moment. See, God has a way of getting you in a place in the middle of your need. He's setting you up to show that his power supersedes your problem. And it's, and it's like David was killing a lion and a bear for preparation for Goliath. God was preparing Elijah for the moment in 1 Kings 18 where he would need the power of God to bring fire down from heaven and get the rain to turn back on. See, 17 is a setup for 18. This season is a setup for where God's taking you. This battle you're in, this problem you have, it's not even about this problem. It's because the enemy doesn't want this problem to get fixed. On the other side of this problem, there's some bigger fish to fry. And you, you get through this test by trusting in God. God's got some bigger giants that he's going to knock out in front of you. We don't just go from, you know, one valley to the mountaintop the rest of our life. There's moments where you're like this. But every time you trust in God, God just keeps taking you higher and higher and higher and higher. And then the day comes where there's no more tears and there's no more pain and there's no more death. But if you will trust him every season of the way, you'll learn to not be so afraid when the next giant shows up, when the next need shows up. You'll go, oh, yeah, yeah. He took care of me back there. He's going to take care of me here. He fixed that problem. He's going to fix this problem. So he says, go at once. I've directed a widow. By the way, a widow in that moment was the poorest. This was the poorest vessel 
that was about to bring the richest provision in Elijah's life. Don't judge a book by its cover. You're looking at something going, uh, God knows how to use 11 untrained, uneducated disciples to turn the world upside down, to bring the, the church Come on, God didn't use perfect sources to bring as vessels to bring his message into the world in the same way God says, I'm gonna use a widow to supply you with food and watch what happens next. I want the keys to come out. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And so she goes to do it. She's on her way. And then he says, oh, and also, could you bring me, please, a piece of bread? My version says, could you bake me a cake? And I thought, <laughs> the audacity for Elijah to tell this woman, hey, could you also get me a cake? But Elijah knew that her obedience would not only unlock his provision, it was gonna unlock her provision. He wasn't trying to steal from her. He was trying to set her up to experience an unlimited supply in the middle of famine. And watch what she says back to him. Go, go back to verse 12. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son and we will eat it and we will die. Her vision was so limited by her circumstances. Has your circumstances blinded your vision to see what God can do, what God wants to do in you and through you and for you? She was so consumed that this was it. This is, this is my final scene. This is how it's going to end. And yet, Elijah was trying to show her that your seed is a setup for your harvest. You sow in the middle of famine, watch what you're gonna reap. You sow when you don't wanna sow. It's easy to sow when you have a lot to sow. It's hard to sow when you have nothing to sow except for the one thing that you're keeping for yourself. Elijah, watch what he says. And this gets even more audacious. He says, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you have said, but first <laughs> make a small loaf of bread for me. Elijah's like, I know this is your last meal, but give it to me first. Bring it to me. Everybody say, but first. But first, but first God, but first give God something. And I love, we sing that song, Waymaker, Miracle Worker. It says, even when it doesn't look like you're working, you're still working. Even when it looks like this is a backward step in my miracle, this is actually forward progress. Even when it looks like I'm down to nothing, God's up to something. God has continued to, can I tell you, I have been amazed by what's happened in this church. And I have a feeling we're about to go from glory to glory. We're about to soar. It's, I mean, it's, God has so much more for us, church. God has so much more for you. God has so much more for you. And it's not about you, it's about him, it's about his glory, it's about him being glorified through you. God is for you, but God is for God. God is for God's glory. He just wants to move through you to show you how powerful he is and the world. 
But if we hold back, if we're stingy, this is the beautiful thing about Victory is we are a generous church. This week we've been giving multiple scholarships to, to families in need for the school, for the college. This week, many of the members in this house have just given sacrificially to cover this conference so that more people can experience the gospel and experience a free, amazing conference and revival. And, and then, this year we casted the vision for the new Bible college, the new youth building, and God has been so faithful. I did not think that we would be this far by now. Here we are, and all we have left is $890,000 to raise. I thought we were gonna need three million at this moment, but God is accelerating the vision. And this is where Elijah's at with this woman. He says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. When you have a need, sow a seed. Go home and do as you've said but first make a small loaf, but first trust God. Put your trust in God and watch what God will do. Let God be your source and watch what God will do and make something for yourself after you make something for me and your son. Watch what happens. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. In other words, this is going to be limitless for a season, but after this season, the same God that provided oil in the jar, flour in the jug, the same God that's gonna take care of you for the next three years, he's got other things lined up. Don't get hooked on the, the oil jar, the flour jar. Get hooked on obeying God and watch what God will do in every season. He'll give you another company. Hey, what, like I have gone in my mind and I've thought, what's the worst that could happen if I just went radical obedience with God? If Ashley and I have to start all over again, I am confident God is going to meet our needs. Like, I'm not afraid of what would happen to us as a church because my trust is not in the church. My trust is in the, the head of the church, the God who built this church. So the enemy wants to keep you locked in this fear of, okay, if I fully obey, what's going to happen if I fully release the thing that I'm afraid to, if I, if I, what if, what if something bad happened? What if, when it's you and God, when it's just Jesus, you can trust he's got more miracles lined up, more companies lined up, more jobs lined up, more help lined up. Stop letting fear dictate your decision to obey. Stop letting worry. I love how this woman, she just obeys. She went away and she did exactly as Elijah told her. And there was food every day. And there was food. In the same verse that she obeyed, there's a result of the obedience to harvest. There was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. Not only did God provide for her, but for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. In other words, everything God promised came to pass. I want you to stand your feet all over this place. Psalm 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I shall not want. He meets my needs. Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 11, I've learned to be content in every season. In verse 19, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, I think if we would get to a place of full trust, full surrender, we would start seeing some miraculous things happen in our family, in our house, in our finances. 
If you're, if you're facing a problem that's bigger than you, God says you're a candidate for a miracle. You're a candidate, but it starts with the seed. It starts with the seed. So if you're facing a lack in friendship, sow a seed of being a friend to someone else. If you're here right now and you're going through a season of loneliness, sow a seed of being there for someone else. But Paul, I got, what about my needs? Watch, Elijah said, but first, sow a seed. I could really use some encouragement. No one's been encouraging me. No one's been noticing me. Go and be an encourager to someone else. Sow a seed of encouragement. No, no, none of my family spends any time with me. Sow a seed of showing up unexpectedly and spend some time with one of your family members. I'm waiting for them to come to me. But first, sow a seed. If you're waiting for someone to meet your needs, sow a seed and let God be the one who meets your needs. Look, Paul, I could really use a promote. I could really use a bonus. What, what if you sowed a seed? And that just feels backwards to me. The key is connected to your obedience to God. And he who supplies seed to the sower shall give you the ability to be generous on every occasion. The goal is not getting more. The goal is being a blessing on every occasion. If you'll flip this, I am not a person who's constantly in need. I'm a person who's constantly sowing seeds. And because I'm constantly sowing seeds, God's constantly meeting my needs. And because God is my source, I'm not waiting for people or places or things to meet my needs. I know God's got everything lined up for each season to take care of what I need. Would you bow your eyes and close your eyes all over this place? Lord, I just pray for every person in this church that's facing situations, problems, needs in their life. God, I pray, Lord, that as they take time today, tomorrow, this week, to just remind themselves that you are their source and to wake up each day and say, God, you're my source. God, it's just you in my life that I need. Lord, you're my source of affirmation. You're my source of encouragement. You're my source of peace. You're my source of provision. You're Jehovah Jireh. My God shall supply all of my needs. And Lord, I'm not seeking you for blessings. I'm seeking you for intimacy. I'm trusting in you because you're a good, good father. So Lord, I'm not coming to see what is in your hands. Lord, I want to know what's in your heart. And if you're asking me to sow when I'm in a famine, I'm going to sow because you're my source. And I know I can trust that you'll provide my needs. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here right now, there's some things that you're believing for and God's stirring in your heart to sow some seeds. And I don't know what those seeds would be, but I just feel like God's saying, trust me in this. This is another step towards intimacy. It's just obedience. A greater level of intimacy is just obedience to act on what God's asking you to do. If that's you, I just want you to leave your seat. Just come down to this altar right now. Whatever it is, just bring it to the altar and just watch what God's going to do this week. As they're coming down to this altar, if you're here today and you say, Paul, I need God's grace in my life. I need God's forgiveness. I need to get things right with God. I want to invite you to come down to the altar today. Come on, cheer on every brave man, brave couple, brave college student that's believing to get tuition this year for college, that's believing for some miracles in their finances, believing for some turnarounds in their family, in their health. Whatever the need is, just bring it down. Just bring it down. And God's going to give you creative ideas for the seeds to sow. God's going to speak to you. God, God might even ask you to do something strange. 
There was a moment in my life where God said, I want you to give your shoes to that person. I said, God, I just got these shoes. He said, no, I want you to give them to them. I got other shoes lined up for you. And I gave my shoes. I walked around barefoot the rest of the day. And one, in one season, God told me to bake cookies for somebody. I'm not even a good baker. I don't know if my cookies are good, but God said, just bake some cookies for these people. Go and bring it to them. It's in those obedient steps that we draw closer to God. It's not knowledge that creates intimacy. It's obedience that creates intimacy. And when you obey, the closer you draw to God and the more God draws close to you and the more you start to see him showing up on the needs and the problems that you're facing, he says, okay, I've got that. I've got that. I've got that. I'm gonna supply what you need. I'm gonna take care of those needs. I'm gonna multiply in the middle of famine. When other people are experiencing lack, you're gonna experience blessing because you're obedient to trust me. You care more about pleasing me than you do about pleasing yourself or pleasing others. God, I just thank you this morning, Lord, that you're stirring our hearts with faith to trust in you. Lord, I thank you right now, God, just for your grace. Lord, I pray for every need represented in this room, every situation, every financial situation, every family situation, every problem. Lord, I thank you that you're faithful. God, you're a good, good father, even in the middle of times that don't make sense. Even when the ravens stop, you don't stop. Even when a brook dries up, you don't dry up. God, my source is you. I'm trusting in you. Lord, I'm living for you, and I'm gonna sow seeds. I'm gonna sow seeds of my time. I'm gonna sow seeds of my finances. I'm gonna sow seeds of my kindness. Even when others aren't kind, I'm gonna sow seeds of encouragement. Even when I need encouragement, I'm gonna sow seeds of praying for others. Even when I need people to pray for me, I'm gonna sow seeds of visiting others in the hospital. Even when I need someone to visit my family. Lord, I'm not gonna wait for others to meet my needs. I'm gonna trust that you are my need meter, God. You supply all of my needs. You are my source. My job is not my source. The church is not my source. God, you are my source. You are my source. And Lord, I'm not gonna live on old bread. I'm gonna continue to seek you every day to get the word of the Lord, to be in your presence to hear from you, to follow you, to obey what you're asking me to do. Just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I trust in you. You are my source. You are my provider. You are my shepherd, and I shall not want. You supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. So I will trust in you and lean not to my own understanding. Lord, I'm drawing close. Whatever you ask me to do, I will have the faith to obey, even when it doesn't make sense. I will sow seeds even when I have a lot of needs because you are my source and I believe 
my harvest is coming from you. So Lord, I trust you and I release what I have and I know that you release what you have and it's more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, Jesus, come on. Hey, let me tell you something while you're here and if you have to leave, you can leave, but let me just say this before you leave. I shared this testimony on Thursday night. A pastor came here from the Amazon jungle in Peru and he sowed a seed in the middle of a famine in his life. It was a significant seed and he said, why would I give to a church that has so much more than my church? God said, it's not about who you're giving to, it's about the obedience to do what I've asked you to do. Todd White said that God told him to sow a seed to a very wealthy family in Dallas, Texas. God said, and, and Todd said, why am I sowing to someone who doesn't even need this? And God said, Todd, it's not about who you give to, it's about obeying what I've asked you to do. And on the other side of that, God 100 times multiplied back in Todd's life for this pastor in Peru. He said, when I sowed into you guys, I did not realize that God was going, I had faith that God was gonna take care of our church and what we needed, but now his daughter's here at the Bible College. Someone paid for her plane ticket. Someone said, anytime you wanna go home and visit your family, we'll pay for your plane ticket there. And someone paid for her Bible College and people are meeting her needs for food and for shelter. See, your seed, I'm telling you, there's, there's future generations that are impacted on the other side of your obedience. I love you so much. God bless you.